So glad that you are here today. And now, of course, we have the opportunity to hear our father's word, uh, see what he has to say to us. So we draw our attention first to first Peter, chapter two, first Peter, chapter two, and then hold on to that and turn all the way back to one of the places where the Ten Commandments are located. Deuteronomy chapter five. We'll start in first Peter, chapter two, and then we'll turn back to Deuteronomy chapter five. Uh, Some of you who are here each week at the end, I will say, and this is the word of God. If we want to join together with Christians for centuries and really all over the world, after I say that, when we're done reading the word of God, then what we say is thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. And I'll tell you why we need to to say that, because sometimes the word that the Lord gives to us is a rather challenging word and we have to be thankful to receive it. And I think that this morning's is just that. So today, let us turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. We'll begin with verse 9. Let us stand, remembering that this is our Father's word. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness Into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world To abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they may accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. And then back in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 5. Verse six, I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. And then the third commandment in verse 11, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord, your God, for the Lord will not hold guiltless anyone who misuses his name. And this is the word of God. Thanks be to God. One of the most beautiful gifts that my parents ever gave to me is the family name. Waybright. It always brings up that. Are you really all of that? How bright are you? Uh, I always. uh, I always liked that name. I, I, I thought I thought it was British. Doesn't it sound like it? But when Chris and I were in uh, Great Britain, I would always ask, especially the English. Uh, Do you know any of my family members? And they would always say in the usual British sort of way, Waybright sounds English. Never met any, you know, That's the way it always was. I found out a few years ago that it's not English at all. It, it's German. It's German. And as happened to so many of us, when my family came across, they went across Ellis Island, and the name was Weibrecht. 
Weibrecht. I'm sure that what happened at Ellis Island was they looked at this and they said, nobody can say that. Weibrecht. That's who you are, Weibrecht. I'm sure that's how, how it happened. But, but actually, that name is interesting. Um, Weibrecht. Uh, now, I don't know that this is the case, what it really means, but my, my wife, Chris, is up here in the choir. She, she thinks this is what it means. Weib is the old German word for, for a woman, and Recht is the German word for the right. <laughs> Rights of women? <laughs> Can't be. <laughs> Can't be. Uh, maybe the, the numbers of women in our congregation will grow when they have a pastor. The rights of women. Um, both both um, Heather, my daughter, and my wife are just sure it is. I say, can't be. It just can't be. But, of course, what I'm getting at is uh, what's important about the family name is not the etymology of it for me, but the reputation of it. Uh, my folks grew up in small towns, working in small towns in West Virginia. They're not famous people. But I tell you, as I was growing up, almost always when people would hear my name, Waybright, they would say, oh, I know your dad. That's a man we can trust. When we do a deal with your dad, we know it's going to be fair. Or, or they'd say, oh, Waybright, we know your mom. Well, you know, when I just hear that name, it makes me laugh, makes me smile. <laughs> if you met my mom, you'd know why. She's about five feet tall. I think I've told you she, she's kind of a combination of Granny on Beverly Hillbillies and Lucille Ball. She's just a, you know, unforgettable, unforgettable personality. And so when they would see her, they would say, oh, we love your mom or Waybright. We know your folks. You know, we're not churchgoers, but those people are the real thing. That's what they'd say. Those people are the real thing. I, I always wanted to represent that family name well. Um, I, as a high school kid, you know, I would get into trouble like anybody else. And yet always it was that factor of, of wanting to represent the name well that often brought me back again. It, it was just important that I would not dishonor the name that had been given to me. Now I'll tell you, we here in the United States, if, if, if you've grown up here your whole life, we are such individualists that we don't think about this as often as we should. But I am guessing that those of you who were born outside the U.S., you understand this matter of how our, we represent our whole family with our names. In fact, in most of the world throughout history, in most of the world now, it's honoring the family name. I'll tell you, that's been one of the main motivations for living right. For living right. And it certainly is true, if you look into the Bible, that that's the way it thinks about the name that we bear. Uh, for me, of course, it's, it's my own name that I, that I have. But, of course, when, when Chris married me, I dragged her into this. She took on that name. And so I had a further weight of, of wanting to live in such a way that she wouldn't be dishonored. Of course, she chose that. My kids, when they were born, they didn't have any choice, did they? And so I also, as a father, feel this deep weight, this responsibility to live in such a way that my children will not be dishonored. If, 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 if you can resonate with that, you'll understand a whole lot of what the Bible has to talk about. You know, the name in the Bible was very significant. Uh, the Jewish people in the Bible had many names, at least two, a public name and a personal name. The personal name was given by the family to represent something about you. So that you have a name like Jacob. Do you know that story? 
that when Jacob was born, came out of the womb, his mother saw him grabbing, grabbing the heel of his, of his older brother. And she thought, this, this child is a grabber. And as you know, um, he became a bit of a cheat. And that's what that name Jacob means. One who grabs, one who grabs. Um, of course, whenever a person would have a life-changing encounter, sometimes the name would change to represent what God had done. So that Jacob, after he met that angel and wrestled with him, God changed his name, you know, from Jacob, the grabber, to Israel, one who strives after because he'd striven with God. Or, or, or Abraham, uh, Avram, uh, the father, um, the great father is what it meant. But after he had met God and God had given them this promise that he would be a blessing to all nations, his name was changed to Abraham, Abraham, the father of, of multitudes. Now, I know that in, in the 21st century United States, we often go kind of go on to Google names, popular names in the United States to give our children names that just sound good. Or maybe the name of somebody who's in a soap opera. But that's not the way it was in the Bible. A name reflected something of the character of the child, or the personality perceived by the parent, or especially of the hoped for destiny, future of that child. Now, why am I taking so much time with this? So that we can understand the significance of the third commandment. Because I think this commandment is often missed on so many of us. Uh, Shakespeare would ask the question, what's in a name in Romeo and Juliet? And you know what the Bible says? A lot. To know the name means you know something about the person. And to share a name is a weighty responsibility. With all that in mind, I want you to think about this third commandment. God turns and says, you shall not bear the name of the Lord your God in vain. I will not hold guiltless anyone who dishonors my name. Now, those of you who are frequent churchgoers, you've probably heard sermons on the third commandment, haven't you? Aren't most of them about um, not swearing? Um, I've been pulling out some sermons from pastors. And, and pretty much what they talk about is you've got to be careful about not swearing and listen to all these movies where people swear. Now, we're going to be seeing today that that's a part of this command, but that's only a little part of this command. Do you know that I get together on Tuesday mornings? I think I mentioned this sometimes with Pastor Albert Tate, with a couple of the other pastors, sometimes Scott White or Jeremy Rose. And as we were talking about this, uh, this commandment, you know what Pastor Albert Tate said? You know, I know a better title of this sermon than yours. He said, the title of this sermon should be, It's Not Just About Cussing. <laughs> it's not just about cussing. And I thought, Albert, that's going to be a whole lot more interesting than my title. Because, and I think it's right. Do you know what it's about? It's about God giving us a trust. That when we enter into a relationship with God, he brings us into his family. In the Old Testament, the people of Israel were the family of God. And God entrusted his name to those people. Now, in the New Testament, when we receive Jesus Christ as our Savior, we are brought into the family of God. We all bow the knee before the one Father in heaven and on earth. And just as a father entrusts his name to his children in our world, God entrusts his name to us. 
I'll tell you, I have come to the conclusion that this may be the most misunderstood of all the Ten Commandments. And, and certainly it is the most minimally applied. I think everything we do, all the words that we speak, when we've identified ourselves with God, reflect upon the name of our Father. And God will not hold guiltless anyone who dishonors that name. Now, do you have the text in front of you? I want to walk through it just briefly to look at it carefully to see what God's word says. Uh, Several phrases that are there. The first phrase, do not take, do not bear. Uh, So take or bear, it's a richly poetic phrase. It, It has to do with carrying something, something that becomes a part of us. For a journey. It's a word of a relationship. And so when we are identified with God, we take, we bear something that identifies us with him. What is it that we take? That next phrase. Do not take the name. Again, as I've been trying to get at names in the Bible, they mean a great deal. They mean a great deal. Whenever you share the name, you belong to one another. And, and what you do reflects on that other person, and what that other person does reflects on you. It's that, it, it's that family tie. Now, the name of God is something I alluded to last week. And in that incredible text in Exodus chapter 33 and chapter 34, Moses turned to God and says, Lord, I've been walking with you a long time, and you know me. You know my name, but I don't know you yet. I don't know your name. Make your name known to me. And so that's what the Lord does in that remarkable section in Exodus 34. He hides Moses back behind a rock. He passes in front of him and he declares his name, Jehovah, Jehovah. And what he declares is something about what he's like. Compassionate, gracious, forgiving, but also just and will deal with sin. And this name of God, as God reveals himself, is quoted again and again and again throughout the Old Testament. And so this name of God helps us to know what God is like. He is loving and he's ready to forgive us today. And as we share communion in a few moments, we're going to see that these two sides of the name of God are shown on the cross. That God is ready to forgive sins, but he also knows that sins must be dealt with. That he has found a way to deal with our sin by placing it on Jesus and to declare us as sinners forgiven. Hallelujah. This is the gospel. But that is what is consistent with his name. So that the way you and I live needs to reflect that same love, compassion, mercy and justice to the world. We carry the name. Notice the next phrase. Do not take the name in vain. It means emptiness. It means without substance. It means anything that we would do that would trivialize the very person of God. And as we're going to see, it certainly involves when we profane it, when we abuse it, when we live in a way inconsistent with it. But sometimes it's simply in an empty way. I've often thought about that with regard to even our worship services. We sing all these incredible songs about the person of God. But sometimes we've just kind of 
gotten used to it. We've sung the song a thousand times. And so we can just say that name without even recognizing the greatness of the God who bears it. Do not do anything that trivializes the name of, the God, of God. It makes every act, every word that we speak significant. It really makes life much more livable. Do not take the name of God in an empty, insubstantial way. And then this warning. I will not hold guiltless anyone who dishonors my name. We're going to be seeing just how serious this is. Uh, Sometimes we think that this walk with God is just... uh, uh, something where, where God doesn't really care. He kind of brings us into the family, wants us to believe in him. It doesn't matter how we live and how we speak. We see it does matter. We had a great Old Testament professor who taught at my former school at Trinity occasionally. His name is Dr. Peter Craigie. I was talking with him about this, and this is what he said. All improper uses of God's name have suspended over them a warning. The Lord will not leave unpunished anyone who dishonors his name. All right, there's the third command. There's the third command. Now, what I thought that I would do for just a moment, if you'll stick with me, I I had about four hours of a sermon for you this morning. And I kept making it shorter and shorter and shorter. What I've done is I wanted to show you the many ways that this third command was applied in the Bible to just show you how broad it is. And and the smaller I got it, I got it down to one book, the book of Leviticus. I just want to show you quickly three texts that kind of show you how how God himself applies this in his word to the lives of people. Do you you have your Bible? The book of Leviticus, newcomers, it's fairly early in the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. There are three places where, where this command is applied. The first is in chapter 19, verse 12. Chapter 19, verse 12. And it's a courtroom setting. Attorneys who are here. It's a courtroom setting that this is used for. And and this is what's said. Do not swear falsely. In other words, don't go in and and give testimony that is false. Do not swear falsely and thus profane my name. In other words, what he's saying is is that a person dishonors the name of God when, when we draw him into it and say it's true and it's not true. Now, here in the U.S., we've had a long tradition that some are trying to shove out. You go into the courtroom, you know, you carry this Bible in, right? And you know what happens, it's, or has happened, uh, the person who's supposed to give testimony is supposed to put their hand on that Bible. And, and what do they say? I swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and, and nothing but the truth. Why do we do that? It has a long heritage. I'll tell you what it is. It's because in our country, people said, the one whose word this is, is a God of truth. So when you put your hand on this, you're identifying yourself with this God of truth. And you'd better speak the truth, or he is going to hold, he will hold you accountable. We may not find out if you're telling the truth, but he knows. It was a pledge for truth. Now in the New Testament, Jesus takes that same thought up in the Sermon on the Mount and says, for those of us who are his followers, uh, we don't have to, to put our hands on the Bible. We don't have to take an oath. Our word should be our bond. Do you remember what Jesus said? So that when you say yes, it's going to be a yes. And when you and I say no, it should just be a no. And that anybody who sees a person who's identified with the name of Christ, people should say that person's going to tell the truth. 
So this is one of the basic ways that this third command is applied. But those who bear the name of the God of truth should ourselves simply be known to be truthful people. Secondly, I want to show you. It's in uh, Leviticus chapter 24. Interesting text. I boiled down a part of it and put it up here. Uh, Verses 10 through 16. Now, here's what we read. The son of an Israelite mother and an Egyptian father. Now, what's going on here is that this child will not have been uh, nationally an Israelite because nationality was determined by the father. So that's what they're getting at. Went out among the the Israelites, the national Israelites. And and a fight broke out in the camp between him and a full-blooded Israelite. And what happened is that son of the Israelite woman blasphemed the name with a curse. Now, here's the issue. Somebody who wasn't really a part of God's family uses the name in a way that's profane. Is, Is that person accountable? And if you read through that text, yes. That no one is so ignorant of the creator that it's excusable to profane the name. The, the other issue that's big here is what about the people of God who hear the name of God profaned in the world around, even if it's a secular world? Well, they had a responsibility to uphold that name. And within that, according to their law, they were to come around him and he was dealt with very, very severely, as you can read about there. The point being is this, that this third commandment has to do, yes, with profaning God's name. This is where the swearing part comes in, profaning the name through speech, when God's name is abused in our world. But those of us who belong to the family of God, who know God as Father, are are bound by our relationship to God to uphold that name when it's abused in our world. Do you think that has anything to say to us in the 21st century? Uh, The third commandment, yes, it, it has to do with swearing... It may not directly have to do with most swearing that doesn't draw in God's name, that, that's just poor, poor speech. But it does have to do when the name of God or Jesus or Jesus Christ are simply thrown out there in a profane or a weightless way. Does that happen in our world? Oh, it happens all the time. And as I've been reading this text again, I, I thought, have we become so used to it? That it doesn't matter to us. You know, I had an older brother. I had an older brother. We fought with one another. We, we didn't fight all that much because I didn't want to fight. My, my brother ended up being 6'2", about 260. Football player, uh, trucker, the truck driver. I knew that if I got into a physical fight, uh, I knew who'd win. I, I, but the, the younger brother had, had a sharp tongue, so I could often win those, you know, those battles. So we got into those. But it was always interesting if anybody else criticized either one of us. We went to the defense. You know what? It's, isn't that true? In a family, we, we can deal with one another. But if somebody else comes in, they've got a bigger battle. And I always loved having my big brother around me. They had another battle on their hands. In this way, this is what God is saying. We've been brought into a family. And when in our world we hear the name of God profaned, a part of this third commandment is we who bear that name should defend the name of our God. And I'm praying that God might teach us to do that better. Uh, Whether in the media or in our schools or in our places of work, it has been so commonplace for people to demean the name. And we are sent to represent and to uphold the name we bear.
That's the second text I want you to see. So it has to do with our general truthfulness. It has to do with profaning the name in public. But the third way, and I just have to show you this. It's so interesting. Leviticus chapter 21. You may sometimes find that the things I think are interesting aren't all that interesting. But, but I hope you will. Chapter 21, verses 5 and 6. Look at this. I, I've shortened it too. Now, priests, a certain group of priests, must not shave their heads. Um, what happened was there was a group of priests that are part of their bond to God. They would take an oath in the name of God that they would not shave their heads. And then a little bit later, they must be holy to their Lord and must not profane the name of their God. Now, isn't that strange text for us in the 21st century? I remember I grew up in the 60s and 70s. Anybody my age remember how long our hair was and our parents always tried to get us to cut our hair. Um, I, I, I remember using this verse saying, look. <laughs> it's more spiritual not to cut your hair. See, see, well, they didn't buy it just as you don't buy it either. But what you see in this text is it really isn't so much about hair as about integrity. What, what happened was priests took an oath on the name of God saying we won't do something and they did it. It was duplicitous. It was hypocrisy. And that's what's being outlawed here. And the interesting thing about this is the third commandment, don't demean the name of God, can be broken without speaking a word. We simply have to identify that this is what we're going to do and then not do it. Or that we aren't going to do it and then do it after all. You see the powerful, powerful principle in this. God's name can be dishonored when we who bear that name do not live in a way consistent with that name. Are you, am, am I speaking clearly? Do you see how all-embracive of our lives this third commandment is? For us to, to tell people we are Christians, we belong to Christ, and then to live in a way that's inconsistent with His character is to demean the name of our Lord. And then we remember that warning. I will not hold guiltless. Anyone who dishonors my name. I want us to think about this with regard to our own world. I took us all the way back to the book of Leviticus. Remember, I began my message by saying one of the greatest gifts my parents gave me was the privilege of, of sharing their name. And I just want to tell us all that one of the greatest privileges God gives to you and me is the privilege of carrying his name. Sometimes I can't believe that he does it. He knows us, you know. He knows how frail we are. He knows how, how many times we have failed him. And yet when we come back in here again, he says, I still drew you into my family. I wanted you to bear my name. I, I, I want us to think about that. On one side, it is such a great privilege, isn't it? On the other side, what a weighty, awesome, fearful privilege it is. I think we need to think about applying it. And all of you can do this in your own arena far better than I can do it from the pulpit. But I think we need to think first on a very personal level. We have a lot of folks here in our church who are in business. Can't you think of so many ways that when you're working in business... 
that you can either represent his name well or represent it poorly. Uh, to strike a deal which is only for your benefit and not for the, the person you're working with. It probably is not consistent with the name of God. Uh, to live in such a way that people see it, that the only thing you're really concerned about is getting more and more money. Is not consistent with the way of God and dishonors his name. There's so many ways that we can think about this and think about from this day on. Father, I need to think about what you are like. And in this place that you put me, in this place of business, I need to show your ways to the world around me. Uh, to those who in professions. Aren't there so many ways that this might be applied? I, I think the most fundamental might be simply the way uh, that those perhaps who are doctors or, or attorneys or, or teachers might see people. Uh, not, not just as, as clients coming through, but, but as people uh, made in the image of God. That somehow we can call them to the holiness of God, but always show them the compassion and hope that God has shown to us. I think about this with students uh, so much that there are so many ways that students in, in that place can reflect by work ethic, uh, by the way of responding to authority, in so many ways, uh, the very nature and character of God. I, I would just ask you to prayerfully consider in the place where God has put you. Father, you've given me this responsibility and privilege of carrying your name. How might I do it in a way that when people see me, they see the family traits. They see the family traits. All right. Second way I want us to apply it is to us as a church body, as family. It's almost always corporate. Uh, God brings us into a church family. And you know, here, here in the Pasadena area, that the way we live as a church family is going to represent God to them. They may never come into this place, but what they hear about this place, what they see in us is going to represent our father. That's where they're going to learn a whole lot about what he is like. And so I've thought about this. How have we done as a church family? We've given this incredible visitors who come. It's not hard to find Lake Avenue Church, is it? Drive down 210 and Lake Avenue exit. Well, there it is. I think I've told you all through town, people say, oh, that one with that big cross. I've always wondered what happens in that place. And we need to be able to show them by our lives individually, but corporately, what God is like so that they will be drawn to him. I keep thinking how then if we invited people to come to a business meeting. Would we be able to say to them, now you may not be all that interested in our business, but just watch how we interact with one another. We're going to speak truthfully, but always lovingly. Uh, we're going to deal candidly, uh, but we're always going to respect one another. So that if they come and see us, they would see the way God has treated us. Don't you long for that? Uh, I, I pray that when people simply come in and visit hear us singing praise to God, to God, they would sense the joy that we have, the, uh, the appreciation we have, not only for our Father, but for one another. So that in seeing us, they will see Him. I, I think a morning like this, where we look at this third commandment, is a time 
where we own areas of our individual or corporate life that have not honored the name of God. And remember how important that is. I will not hold anyone guiltless who dishonors my name. But then remember that that guilt was atoned for on the cross. So that we can again this morning say mercy has been shown. We were once a people who didn't know mercy. We know it now, don't we? Hallelujah. We know mercy so that we can leave this place bearing the name well. Can you tell this isn't the first time I've talked about this command? I used to, when I was at, at the college, uh, I always used to go to all the sports teams. So I'd just pile it right on them. I'd say, all right, when you came to this school, you represented not just yourself, but your family. Now that you're in the school and on this team, or in the choir or in the orchestra, you represent not just your family, but your entire school. So you represent our name. But this school is known to be a Christian school. So you represent not just your family and not just your school. You represent the Lord. Now carry that name well. Do not demean the name. I think Chris was with me one time when the football team, the bus was going off to a game and they stopped it and rolled down the window and said, President, we're not going to demean the name. We are going to uphold the name. I think she said, what was that about? Oh, I said, oh, third commandment. Third commandment. And that is my longing for us as a family. We really don't have an option in this if we're going to be Christians. Uh, He brings us into his family by his grace and by his mercy. He entrusts his name to us. It's how people in this world know about him. He entrusts his name to us. And he tells us to carry it well. Do not carry the name of the Lord your God in vain. Let me leave you with two verses. Pray that God would just take them and take them deeply into our hearts. The first I read earlier. When you leave this place, live such good lives out in the world among the nations that even though they may want to accuse you of all sorts of wrong things, they'll see your life, your good deeds. And glorify God on the day he visits. Or the words of Jesus himself from the Sermon on the Mount. Let your light shine before others. So that they will see your life, your good deeds. But they'll say, I've never seen anything like that. There must be a God who's in this. They will see your life, but give glory to your Father in heaven. Remember, as we leave this place, we carry God's name with us. Carry it in a way that brings honor and glory to his name.